Hello and welcome to Smoke and Shadow. I am your host, Victoria Sadowski. And a lot of you might be happy to hear I didn't choose a stupidly broad topic this week. <laughs> For once, I managed to do something rather specific. So today's topic is the hellhole of Hoska Castle, also known as Hrad Hoska. And before we really get into the castle, of course, I gotta do my historical preface. So we have to talk about, first and foremost, Gothic Bohemia. So what was Bohemia is now the modern-day Czech Republic, which sits in between uh, Germany and Poland. So this region, when it was Bohemia and now being the Czech Republic, is very Germanic and Slavic in nature. So we're going to get into why that is. So way, way back in the day, the Gallic invasion of northern Italy begins in 390 BCE. Later, archaeological evidence suggests that the Boy tribe, along with other Gallic tribes, all migrated to the Etruscan area peacefully through intermarriage. So later evidence suggests that this Gallic invasion wasn't really an invasion. It was just one of many migrations. Later, Roman historians cite the migration as violent because a lot of Roman propaganda was, you know, against barbarians and against the sort of Gallic tribes in the Northwest. However, again, that's probably propaganda. And the reason why we think that is uh, the boy, the Etruscans, and the Gauls allied and went to war against Rome. So all these tribes and civilizations in northern Italy, sort of where the boot meets the rest of Europe, those people in that area start to come down and go to war with Rome. I couldn't really find out why this war started, but seeing as how Rome already referred to the area as the Cisalpine Gaul, a province of Rome, you can probably guess why the war started. Romans were already claiming the territory as theirs, and the people who actually lived in that area were like, uh, no, no, we don't belong to you. So this can be seen as a time where the Gallic Wars really started. In the 2nd century BCE, the Romans campaigning in northern Italy invaded and defeated the Boi tribe at the Battle of Placentia. Is that how that's pronounced? Interesting. In 194 BC and at the Battle of Mutina in 193 BCE. The region then officially becomes the Roman province of Cisapine Gaul. This was a time where many Germanic and Celtic tribes were then migrating all around Gaul and Europe, mainly heading west to avoid influence of the Roman Empire and other empires in the east. The majority of the Boi and Helvetii tribes migrated west to southern France in 58 BCE, which most historians consider to be around the beginning of the Gallic Wars. Julius Caesar would intervene this migration during his Gaulish campaigns, but the remaining boy, and I feel like a few of the Helvetii that remained in the region were Romanized over time. In the 6th century CE, Slavic tribes come in from the east after the demise of the Roman Empire and the boy and Helvetii migrations. Also, I don't know if you can tell, I have no fucking idea how to pronounce boy. Boy? It's spelled B-O-I-I. I don't know, you do with that what you will. So these Slavic migrations um, eventually create settlements in 
a wide array of places for a while in Europe, but of course the longest lasting one would be uh, Poland for the majority of Slavic settlers and the Germanic settlers would, you know, become Germany over time. But that being said, there are many countries in that area, especially the small principalities that have Germanic and Slavic uh, culture. And again, Bohemia and now the Czech Republic has both Slavic and Germanic influence. The Slavic migrations and settlements over time eventually sort of morph into a early middle-aged tribal union under the king of Samo, the king of Slavs, in the early to mid-600s. Great Moravia is established at the end of the 800 CE, and Bohemia emerges sort of as a state of the Great Moravia at the center of the culture clash between the Slavs and the Germans in the early mid-900s. So Bohemia's name is derived from the Germanic tribe, the Boy, the one that I can't pronounce. Uh, Moravia's influence over the region enforces Christianization of Bohemia. The East Frankish Kingdom, or East Francia, Francia, sure, took hold of Bohemia at the collapse of Moravia as it slowly morphed into the Holy Roman Empire in the late 900s. Under Otto the Great of the Holy Roman Empire, Bohemia maintains its autonomy as a kingdom. So it sort of is taken as a state and then through aligning itself with the Holy Roman Empire, it starts to become its own kingdom. Ottokar II becomes Bohemia's most renowned king and brings prosperity to the country. He is also known as the Golden and Iron King or Iron and Golden King. He likes iron and gold. He's got all the medals. Um, but yeah, he is supposedly like Bohemia's poster child. So you can see that after the collapse of the Roman invasions and the Roman presence in Gaul, the Romanization doesn't really leave, of course, and feudalism just runs a little rampant. And if you, there's some YouTube video that shows from like a span of a few hundred years, if not a thousand, uh, the map that is where Bohemia is and what pops up there and what evolves over time in that region and how we got to, you know, Germany, Poland, Czech Republic. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff coming up, popping up, going, uh, conquering feudalism. It's just complete and utter feudalism in this entire area. And it's very chaotic for what we would consider in the modern era. But yeah, because of all these different turbulent events and the rise of the Holy Roman Empire, the rise of Bohemia, the fall of Moravia, all these things sort of contribute to what would become the golden age of Bohemia, and thus Radhoska is born. You know when <coughs> you just hit it and it just sits in your chest and you can't, <coughs> like you want to cough but you can't, that's how I'm feeling. We can do it, we can get going, I promise. Alright, Hoska Castle, built in the 13th century under the order of Ottokar II of Bohemia as an administrative building for the region, as much as we know of. That's what we assume no 
this is a foggy history. Let me just start out now. This is a very foggy history, and I did the best I could. But if you don't live in the Czech Republic, it is very difficult to get factual, chronological information about this castle that isn't surrounded in myth or folklore, religious belief. Like, it's very hard to get the real meat of it. It's said to have been standing even before the 13th century, but most likely was some sort of former fortification that stood there since the early 9th century CE. And we're going to talk about that towards the end, too, and why that is. It's theorized that Heinrich Berke of Dube, just after the death of Ottokar II, built the fortification as a territorial expansion move. So he was just sort of grabbing, grabbing at what he wanted, even if he didn't need it. And this would make sense as to why there's no kitchen and it was built far away from trade routes. It wasn't necessarily meant to be lived in. And if someone's going to make just a statement of, I'm going to build a castle in this territory because I can. And I'm going to make a statement to everyone that it's my land now. Of course, it's not going to be like accommodating to anybody to live there. So that could explain why those things weren't installed in the building previously. But it's also said that after Ottokar II built the castle, Heinrich then tried to take possession of it. So, who knows? In 1514, the Kronika Czeska by Václava Heikia was published and records the earliest reference to Hauska's Pit of Hell. The work states that the Pit of Hell was located near the castle, not within it. And it just states that there were a number of spirits that inhabited the hole. From 1584 to 1590, the castle underwent a Renaissance-style renovation. And from 1618 to 1648, Hauska was occupied by the Swedes during the Thirty Years' War. And we have to pause. Well, not pause, just sort of go down a rabbit hole. Because <laughs> we need to talk about the Thirty Years' War and the Bohemian Revolt. So after Ferdinand II's decision to enforce Catholicism in the entire Holy Roman Empire, the northern Protestant states of Bohemia were like, how about the fuck not, and just began an open revolt. So this was already a pretty fragmented area due to the long and drawn-out collapse of the original Roman Empire, so this just turned to straight chaos. The Protestant Bohemians were backed by the Ottoman Empire while they fought with the Poles, Polish tribes, Catholic Poles, I descend from the Catholic Poles, love it, who were backed by the Habsburgs. Later into the war, uh, Ferdinand II would be backed by Germany, France, and Belgium. Shout out to my listeners in Belgium. What's going on, guys? This was a contentious and messy war, which technically consisted of several wars, all intertwining or intersecting at one point. Because again, this has to do with the Protestant Reformation and the wars that followed that. And this spread all over Europe. And a little bit in the United States, but not really, not even close to the magnitude in Europe. Because again, you had a war and essentially every country had a religious civil war in a sense, kind of roughly. You had what was going on in Europe with the Catholic persecutions ordered by, I don't know if Henry VIII started it or, or if it was Elizabeth. But then you had, you know, before Elizabeth even reigned, you suddenly had, you went from a Protestant king to a Catholic queen and then back to a Protestant queen. Like, it was fucking insane, and no one who was Christian knew what to fucking do. 
and the Bohemian Revolt is, you know, this area's sort of version of that where you have all these different feudalist countries backing each other depending on what their religious beliefs are, which has happened a million fucking times over. But you get the gist. In the 18th century, it briefly stopped serving as a noble residence and fell into a state of disrepair before being renovated in 1823. In 1897, it was purchased by a princess of the House of... Fuck. Um, Hohenlo? Hohenlo. Let's go with that. In 1924, during the First Republic era of Czechoslovakia, the castle was bought by the president of Skoda, Joseph Simonik. His 1929 renovations to the castle uncovered gothic pagan frescoes thought to be dated back to the 14th century. And sadly, in World War II, the castle was occupied by the armed forces of Nazi Germany. So wouldn't you know it, I ruined myself with that last bong hit. So I had to pause <laughs> for about 15-20 minutes, and we're back. So now we're going to talk about the castle folklore. Uh, again, the earliest sources say that the pit of Heldhoska was located near the castle, beside a great rock, not within it. Earliest references to the pit describe half-human demonic creatures as well as spirits that dwelled there. These creatures supposedly walked the paths around the pit, so no one really ventured out that way, and it was said that there, are, like, there were villages around this area at this point. This pit was said to also have been an active portal to hell before the castle was built, which calmed down after the castle was built. So, even if it wasn't directly on the pit, people still thought that the castle when it was built near the pit, calmed things down. I've watched a few videos of people who have visited the castle, some for paranormal reasons, some for historical reasons. And there's one that I found where they go into one of the caves near it and they see like other caves that like have blocked off doorway entries into. But they go into like a smaller one near the castle and it's just like riddled with all these different pits that go like into the ground. So like it would make sense that someone back in the day had ventured into this area and saw these creepy caves in this misty mountainous woods. Like it's a very creepy scene. <laughs> and people who've gone into these like tiny caves say that they're warm inside when it's like either slightly above or slightly below freezing and you know warmth suggests the fiery pits of hell so <laughs> it's unclear when folklore changed to say that the pit was beneath the castle and that the chapel was built over it to keep the evil spirits within this is probably a later renaissance uh, inspired folklore that came about when they were remodeling the castle and dedicated it to the Archangel Michael. And we'll talk about why we see this as being the most likely possibility, but before we get there. There's also a tale where war prisoners uh, made a deal with authorities in the area to be lowered down into the pit to see what was down there. 
So rumors at this point, I want to say this started around probably the 13th century, this story, where possibly 14th, where authorities were hearing rumors of things coming from the pit and there was a lot of speculation about it. People didn't want to go near it. So they're like, hey, we have these prisoners that have like a death penalty. Why don't we just lower them into the pit? And if they do what they're told, we'll just lessen their sentence or let them go free. So the prisoners in question agreed to this and they all went up to the castle and one guy went first and he got lowered down into the pit. Apparently, the first man who was lowered down into the pit is said to have gone mad after a few moments of silence of being in the pit. And when they pulled him back up, he had aged 30 years and his hair had gone completely white and he just went mad and a few days later he died. So no one else wanted to go in the pit. Those prisoners would rather take a death penalty than go in the pit. So that, of course, is just folklore. We're not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure where that came from. So it's also rumored that Prince Wenceslas I, I believe that's how you pronounce that, uh, heard of the pit and demanded that the hole be covered by a chapel, which is where the folklore of the chapel being built over it comes from. But again, it could have been a much later addition to these pre-existing stories because Wenceslas I was alive during the 9th, 8th, 9th century. And it was Wenceslas II who took the throne after Ottokar II had died. So it would have been Wenceslas II who might have done this. But most sources say it's Wenceslas I, which, if that's the case, then this could be one of two things. Later folklore that comes during the Renaissance or earlier folklore that somehow managed to maintain its presence in European folklore because, and we'll dive a little bit more into this towards the end, but there's said to be a pre-existing structure around the 8th or 9th centuries when Wenceslas I would have been alive. And it could have been reference to that structure that predates Hoska, However, it's more realistic that this is a later addition to the pre-existing folklore. So during the renovations in around the 14th century, so around the time period of the Renaissance, uh, these frescoes were painted and they reveal visuals of Gothic pagan folklore and mythology with Christianized tones. These murals show dragons, griffins, fae, centaurs, and other strange what modern paranormal researchers would call cryptids or things of that nature, creatures of folklore. These frescoes are a little strange due to their bold appearance beside Christian symbolism, which just goes to show the sort of cultural change that was going on when the castle was built, as well as the cultural shifts that happened and religious cultural shifts that happened throughout this period, which inspired later renovations being, you know, this one that we're talking about, the one in the 14th century, which has more Christian-leaning tones. There's a lot of angelic figures that are slaying dragons and demons and whatnot, which those creatures had once been just pagan creatures of folklore. They were not demonic. And now you have the Christian influence. It's like, nope, none of this here. We're getting rid of it. However, very interesting about these frescoes, there is a centaur depicted aiming its bow at a human whereas every other creature is kind of being slaughtered this one is about to kill a human and it's using its left hand to aim the bow 
which left-handed people at this time were under a lot of scrutiny because using your left hand was a sign of the devil. So this depiction in particular is just a little strange, especially because no one really has an answer for why it was painted when everything else is suggesting like kill all the pagan influence. Like that's what the art is really hitting home. And then you have this one centaur that's like being defiant and not being touched by any of the angelic sort of beings there. And some people say they wanted to leave a depiction that shows the sort of evil of the devil, but it's not demonic in nature. It's just a centaur aiming its bow at a human. And yes, the left-handed aspect sort of suggests demonic presence, but it's just a weird way of getting that across when they could just like paint a demon and like a war, like, you know, you see all the Renaissance stuff, you see angels and demons going to war and stuff. It's just weird to have this one centaur trying to kill a human, not even one of the archangels, just a human where it's almost isolated compared to all the other frescoes that are going on are all very synced up in the scenes and what's happening. They're all very similar. And then you have this one. It's just very odd. There's a, there's a few odd things about this castle, but again, we'll, we're, we're getting there. During the Thirty Years' War, it's said that an occupying Swedish officer had become obsessed with the legends of Hoska, and after rumors of him doing black magic there had spread around the area, he was assassinated by a local hunter. Of course, this, I believe, is folklore, not fact, but this is folklore that started circulating during the Thirty Years' War when the Catholics and Protestants were going at it, so... The castle cellar, again, with the oddities of this fucking castle, the cellar of it has been branded the Devil's Den and is actually decorated with demonic art, and there is a throne for the devil. And this castle is still used by a lot of people of the Christian faith, and I find it just so ironic and hilarious that whenever you see Christian stuff, you just get a little bit of the demonic shit too. Like, you can't... Like, I, and that's because of dualism. You can't talk about God and God being great without a parallel to really put into context how great he is. And that parallel being Satan or the devil or whomever to just really drive home like, well, it's either this or that. That's dualism. It's either this wonderful God or the devil. And I feel like, not always, but in a lot of Christian representation, they'll show you the other option. And, you know, as a sort of fear-mongering tool, like, if you don't worship God, you know, you're full of sin, and then devil's going to drag you down to hell, and they have to show that. They have to show this other sort of entity in their presence in the world. So it's just kind of funny to me that the whole concept of, like, you know, Christianity or, you know, monotheism is just... Sin is bad, the devil is bad, blah, blah, blah. But we wouldn't fucking see it like that. We wouldn't have a devil. We wouldn't have Satan if it weren't for these fucking Abrahamic cults spouting it around all the time. And this castle really just kind of speaks volumes to that narrative of, oh, yeah, there's a beautiful chapel that talks about, like, killing, like, demonic creatures, but also it's a little, like, pagan. It just kind of really illustrates the Christianization of Gaul. And then down in the cellar, there's a throne for Satan. If you want to go down and check that out. Like, it's just so very strange to me how somebody along the way decided those two things should exist in the same place. You know, it's just a little funny to me. And you could argue, you know, that's just Hoska and the creepiness of it and how it, you know, 
the folklore that enveloped it. But if you look in other places too, you get sort of that like, whenever there's God shown, there's also like the Renaissance. Again, Renaissance art really does this well, especially because they're revitalizing a lot of ancient uh, traditions during this time period. So you get a lot of like the old world, the demonic, or what Christians consider the demonic, what really is old polytheism, uh, sort of coming back into play. And there's a sort of juxtaposition next to God and what is heavenly and what is angelic. And I just find it very funny. I find it very ironic personally, but it's also, you know, it makes beautiful art at the same time. It's just, you know, very interesting. All right. And now we're moving right along to the 1930s where it is said that the Nazis conducted an assortment of experiments during their occupation uh, related to the occult dark arts. And this sounds outlandish as hell, but very much on brand for Nazis. And I got to tell you why that is. It sadly was a thing at the time. They were definitely doing these occult in nature experiments, possibly on Jews, possibly on each other. We don't know, really. At least I don't know. However, it was not actually done at Hoska in particular, but was possibly being done at a much grander castle within the region. But what was actually going on at Hoska was that the Nazis were hoarding books of those they had killed. So these were, and they were obsessive collectors, and they were hoarding essentially what was Jewish mysticism, esoterica, and occult works on Zionism. So most of it was things pertaining to Kabbalah lore, like old Solomon-esque sort of occult work that was being sort of spread around during the Renaissance, and quite possibly other occult paraphernalia and things uh, pertaining to Greco-Roman culture. But mainly, it had to do with Jewish folklore, because again, they were killing Jews and taking their shit, so... During modern renovations that happened probably in the late 20th, early 21st century, three bodies of Nazi soldiers were found on the grounds and all had been killed execution style. Nobody knows what went down, but it's assumed based on the fact that they were killed execution style and there's only three of them and there's no other bodies in the area that were found. It's just assumed that they were in one way or another traitors because of how they were killed and there wasn't that many of them. Or that they were spies for another country and just got caught. So, Hoska was abandoned after World War II and throughout most of the communist rule in the Czech Republic. Then a band made a music video at the castle and got arrested. Because I guess it was, you know, anti-communist or something. Then the band's lead singer died after the reopening of the castle in 1999 and paranormal groups went ballistic over it, and then an intense wave of folklore sort of resurfaced. About five or six years ago, another much older room was found beneath the castle's courtyard, which archaeologists say is a Slavian grain cellar that possibly predates Hoska. So again, going back to the whole Winslus I, this is what I mean by there being a pre-existing structure. It's possible that there was a pre-existing structure in the 9th century, we don't know if it was a castle. We don't know much about it. But this grain cellar suggests that there was something older than what is now Hoska. But again, during the Thirty Years' War, when the Swedes occupied the area, they took down most of 
the castle's defensive structures. And again, it underwent several, several renovations throughout several hundred years. So it's hard to say, and they're, I guess, looking into it. But as of right now, it's high possibility that the grain cellar predates the 13th century, possibly goes back to the 9th century. So honestly, at this point, who the fuck knows? So yeah, that's Hoska, Hrad Hoska for you. When I first found out about this castle, of course, like I couldn't shut up about it. And I was going on the internet being like, where's this fucking help? I need to go. And I'm not entire, the more research I've done, the more I'm just like overloaded with information. And I can't exactly remember if there is a pit. I'm pretty sure there is a pit beneath the castle that was covered up but because people have seen it or people have seen like the cover to it people have I don't know I don't know it's just we're unclear if that pit was the original pit that they were talking about in the Chronica Cheska so your guess is as good as mine and again there's a million different caves and holes and pits in this area I watched a video and they didn't walk too far away from the castle and they found a pit that they could actively get into and it could hold like eight people you know like that's a pit that's a cave that's a little thing in the ground it was like the opening of it was overgrown with a tree trunk and it was like so interesting and cool and creepy but again we don't know which one's the pit maybe it's all just a bunch of little pits that all like you know they all lead to hell (laughs) I don't know who knows? But I think the castle in modern days serves as a sort of visual representation for a weird shift in culture and religion in Gaul slash Europe. And whenever, it just goes to show, like, especially in Europe, whenever something doesn't make sense, whenever something just isn't, you know, as uniform as everything else, or it just it stands out a little bit too much. Human beings will turn right around and go, it's the fucking devil. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Although the part about the Nazi occupation, that sets me off a little bit. That makes me feel a little weird because two little fun factoids about me. I dive a little bit closer into what would be considered a cult. I am very much into that sort of stuff. And at the same time, I descend from Polish people. (laughs) So it's just weird because occultism has a very weird and warped history, mainly because a lot of the origins come from cultures that no longer exist and morphed alongside Christianity. And then you have this regime that's apparently somewhat seemingly unreligious entirely and is just completely fascist but at the same time has a morbid weird interest in the occult and as an occultist I gotta say that's not really how I want that to come back like that's not and again this wasn't a sort of occultist rebellion against Christian views 
this was just the Nazis being Nazis and deciding what they wanted to do and kill everyone who disagreed, mainly the Jews. So as a descendant of Poles and related to those who lost their lives in one way or another, I'm related to them, lost their lives fighting Germany. You know, I'm not really for that type of vibe. I'm not not there for that. No. Occultism is not for Nazis. If you want to be a religious, then get your hands out of their fucking libraries and leave their books alone. Like, what are you doing? Also, side note, stop killing Jews. Like, what's, what's the problem at home? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on that makes you think everything wrong in your life is because of a Jewish person? Like, get it together. Get it together, Hitler. Come on. But yeah, I find Hoska very interesting. And this is a place I very much want to visit. At some point in my life, I do want to... Not just the castle, just like the area itself. I want to find that goddamn pit, bitch. I want to find it. Because who knows if it's a pit to hell, pit to another universe, a pit to just the ground. I don't know. Uh, But I want to go. I want to sit in the dirt underground and just kind of feel a little spooky. That's what I want to do. What about you? And by now, probably some of you are wondering, when's Vic going to go off about the Protestant Reformation? I don't want to. Um... (laughs) So, in case you didn't realize from, you know, part of the last episode into this episode, we've talked about the Protestant Reformation twice now, and we are going to keep talking about in other episodes that are going to be more specific to, you know, say we'll cover the Christian persecutions happening in England during the Protestant Reformation. Like, one day we'll talk about that. One day we'll talk about stuff that's happening in America, you know during the early 1900s with the Catholics versus Protestants in that area. And just a little tidbit on why I'm not going to go too deep down into this, aside from the fact that we're going to cover a lot of different fragments of the Protestant Reformation and other episodes. But I grew up with a Catholic father and a Protestant mother. So this shit was at home. Like I can see just from my own childhood memories way watered down obviously just bits and pieces of this history that went on for hundreds of years and it's hilarious to me that a catholic man decided to marry a protestant woman. yes it's modern age everything's different but like not expect there to be some weirdness to it like just not just be like oh this will be fine like no no religion's fucky it's gonna get fucky dude and it got fucky (laughs) and so here we are But uh, yeah, so when it comes to the Protestant Reformation and, you know, Protestants versus Catholics, there are some specific issues, uh, again, with the, you know, Irish versus the British. I kind of get the Irish Catholic point of view, although it's just, it's an occupation, it's entirely political, that both sides, if not, you know for however long this history has been, they use religion as a sort of way to cope as well as to shed blame. So if, you know, in the 80s, when there was British occupation going rampant in Northern Ireland, you couldn't say the word Protestant without someone around you going, bastards. Like, it was, you know, it still kind of is, especially now when you consider the whole Brexit situation, how that's going down and how the Irish are reacting to it. 
And people are like, oh, they're going to start putting up posts again right at the border. And the Irish are like, they do that. We're getting at our guns. And the IRA is going to bounce back. And not even the Irish people want the IRA to bounce back. The IRA is really fucked now. There's a lot of different fragments to it that all do different shit. And it's all wild shit. But uh, that's a different sort of thing. And I think in that context, it's probably the most modernized version of the Protestants versus Catholics. Whereas, I don't know about in particular uh, the Czech Republic, but I think now in most of Europe it's really tame uh, compared to what was going on during the Thirty Years' War and, you know, before and after that. However, uh, a little, also a different personal little tidbit um, that I heard growing up, which if you're Irish and or Catholic um, and you are versed on these Protestant versus Catholic issues, you're going to find this funny. So the Protestant side of my family, my mother's side, uh, was Irish. <laughs> so you can probably assume how, well, going back to my grandmother on that side, she was the Irish Protestant in the family. And I uh, grew up occasionally hearing stories of how uh, that family was ridiculed in their community. And this is in America. And it's just interesting to hear how, like, you know, everyone in this community is Irish and they're all in America. They're not even in Europe anymore. And then one person just is like, nah, I'm Protestant. And the whole community's like, fuck you. Like, that's, you know, that was in the, uh, I want to say probably 1920s to 1950s, I want to say, around that time, that this sort of culture was even affecting the United States. But again, it also just goes to show that this stuff doesn't really go away. And if it does, it takes a really long time. And it usually takes a greater enemy to two people who don't like each other in order for them to be like, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and this is a greater enemy, so I'm going to ally with my previous enemy. And that's typically how that has gone in history. But we don't want a greater enemy. We just want to resolve our problems like civil people. So... Yes, and sadly, Hoska was one of many castles that got wrapped up into this battle as well as World War II and just saw a lot of history and was present through many an era. And that's not common because a lot of these places that were, you know, especially during the Thirty Years' War, there were a lot of castles that were destroyed and Hoska was almost one of them and then they just took down the defensive uh, structures that were surrounding the castle and that was about it. But it's very, very close to being completely eradicated. And if it had been, we wouldn't have a lot of the visual elements in that castle to tell us what the cultural climate was, what was going on, what were the issues, what were the values. Also, sorry, I'm high. Weird fucking segue. I watched a video of someone touring the castle and they walk into a room that has a bunch of, you know, busts of taxidermy deer and whatever and that's all over the castle and you expect that in castles at this point but then the person who the camera's focused on turns around and looks up at this wall above the door and goes oh okay and the camera just shows this huge wall covered completely covered in busts of taxidermy goats and this is after they had just been talking about how like people will hear goats on the property even though there's no goats and they think that's a sign of the devil and they walked into that room and they were both like ha ah, okay and I thought that was hilarious anyway castle of goats that's what they should call it not not hoska just castle of goats castle of holes and goats 
Anyway, moving on to sources. The Thirty Years' War by C.V. Wedgwood, Bohemia in History by Nicholas Titch. I think that's how you pronounce it. Fact check me. Geographics, a YouTube video on Hauska Castle, which was probably one of the most informative things about this castle because uh, they're from the Czech Republic and they were able to obtain a lot of uh, news articles that you can only really get locally when you're there. So I used a lot of what they said for this as well, but for the sort of like in-depth historical facts surrounding the castle and what was going on, uh, the two books were really helpful. But again, I had to use a few YouTube videos to really get the folklore aspect as well as just a more rounded idea of the castle's history to sort of like correlate all these things. But again, this was probably out of the podcast episodes I've done so far, this was probably the hardest in terms of finding information. It was definitely barren if you were looking for just like chronological straight facts because again... A lot of this castle is shrouded in mystery. So, and again, you can find me on Instagram at Smoke and Shadow Podcast. And if I missed anything that you want me to cover or talk about in a later episode, or you have a topic you want to share, you can send that to Smoke and Shadow Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, I will see you guys on the next one.